God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Magi in our lesson today in Matthew kind of come out of nowhere. You notice that? It's Matthew is our author, and he's describing how the Magi just simply walked into this Christ child story very much different from what we heard from Luke, for example. The, the author that we've been hearing most of Christmas where he describes Christ and, and Mary in a manger. And he even described the people who were involved in that whole beginning manger scene, the locals, shepherds. And we can kind of picture this because it, it makes sense to us. These shepherds were clueless as to what was happening right before them, right in their town. And suddenly angels appear in a chorus and they say, this is what's happening And so they go. A savior has been born to you. And so they go find the manger and they see the child and they go proclaim it to the city and in the streets. It makes sense to us. We can see that. How clueless people are informed by God's majestic choir of angels. But Matthew's different. Because we have this sort of unknown about who the Magi are. And it's very easy for us to get caught up in all the details of who they might have been and where exactly they came from and how far they traveled. But if you stick to Matthew and what he says, it's almost as if they just walk onto this scene, this story, this narrative of the Christ child. And it's a little bit strange Because it's not like the shepherds who are out clueless in the the wilderness on the hills following their sheep and tending to their sheep. It was these men that through a star that started to rise, they knew that a savior was born in Judea. And they traveled many miles to get there. And so we're going to stick to what Matthew tells us today. Because Matthew tells a story, not only of the Magi, but he also has this context that he brings up, that even the Magi, the, the, the center focus of the story, or the, the, the most uh, time spoken about in this story, don't really know. Because when they walk into Jerusalem, they are asking, where is this Christ child? Where is he born? And they're not greeted by a whole coronation of, this is our Savior, this is our Messiah. Instead, they find themselves questioning if maybe the Savior was born. Because no one knew. They were asking around as if they were the only ones who knew that this child was born, and they didn't know what they were stepping into, but the people did. Matthew pulls this out for us in verse 3. We'll start at verse 2. And they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. I don't think the Magi realized that. That Herod, he, he becomes a major character in this story. And honestly, this story 
maybe could have gone without Herod. It would have been a very good story, nonetheless, if that star in the east showed them right where Jesus was, right in this foreign land, in this foreign town, right in this foreign house. We wouldn't have had to hear about Herod and still have been a wonderful story about how a savior is a savior and a ruler for all people. And how these magi came and laid down their presence before him out of thankfulness of the greatest gift that was right before them in the manger. But Matthew records Herod. He's a prominent element to this story. And when you begin to hear what Matthew says, you see why. Because Herod was hard. Harsh, maybe is a better word. And all the people recognized that. See, Herod was the Romans' choice to lead the Jewish people. And he wasn't Jewish at all. And so for for Herod to, to gain some sort of respect or obedience from the people, he did what he knew best to do. He demanded it from them and he scared it out of them. This is who Herod is. We only need to look to the end of this chapter to see that he was so paranoid about his leadership and his throne that what would he do? He would kill all children under two in Bethlehem. And that wasn't a one-time thing. He was so paranoid about his throne that he would kill three of his sons, suspecting that they're trying to get his throne. He would kill his favorite wife. Because he suspected her. He was even, he was so demented, he, he took even the, some leaders of the community by the time he was getting sick and about to die. And he said, these leaders, I want you to kill them when I die so that the people would mourn for me on the day of my death. That was Herod. And that was the person that these magi stood before and were asking, where is this this Christ child, this king. And they had no clue. They had no clue who Herod was. And his secret ways and his secret agendas and his secret plans. And he he secretly called the Magi separately from everyone else and said, why don't you go and, and find the place where this child is and tell me so that I can go worship that child myself. A.K.A. go kill him. Because he's threatening me in my throne. You begin to see just how darkness stymies the light of Christ. Because it wasn't just Herod. As the Magi walked into Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, No one was really interested in this Christ child. At least Matthew doesn't let on. They had to ask around. And even when they got the answer, and the answer came pretty quickly. This is what the prophet says. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a shepherd of his people. And even as they walked down to Bethlehem, I'm guessing they looked around and said, where is everyone? Are they not surprised? If they didn't know, they should know now. That the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has been born. And he is there in Bethlehem. 
But what person who knew Herod would willingly walk to see a Savior? You see the problem. Fear. Maybe this is a problem for all Jerusalem. Fear just sat before them. That that fear was manifested in, in Herod. If he suspected that you didn't serve him, heads would roll. Or if, if he didn't kill you, he certainly would have made your life and your family's life much more miserable and horrible. And so all of Jerusalem, it says, was disturbed. They all knew Herod, and they all knew his paranoia, and so each one of them sat there and were willing to keep the, the status quo because if they changed in any way, it would be their life. And maybe Herod wasn't as good as a king as they'd wanted, but at least he is a king. And so as long as I keep my head down and don't stick out, I'll be fine. That's what sin does. It puts fear right in front of you. wants you to keep things just the same. You see, it keeps them from going to see the light of the world, this, this baby who God had sent for their sins. They weren't willing to walk the maybe five miles down to Jerusalem just to, or to Bethlehem just to check it out, out of their curiosity. They weren't. And you see that. Sure, you see it in in leaders who are like Herod, maybe. Who have secret agendas, who break promises that they make, who are paranoid about their own throne. And how Satan uses that and twists twists that to, to hide this brilliant light of Christ. But you also see it in our own lives. Kind of these these rulers that we have. Maybe it's a ruler of self-image. You're so concerned how people see you. And there, there are ways that the devil fuels this, as he says, as, as long as you look this way, as long as you act this way, as long as your friends are this, as long as you watch this, then you're going to be fine. Your, your image is going to be great, and you're going to have more happiness and more joy. And yet you see how the devil has essentially flipped what he's doing in Herod's time. When people lose their self-image, when they feel worthless, when they feel unloved, they feel like their life is not worth living at all anymore. And it's not a ruthless leader that comes in and kills them. It's their own thoughts, their own heart. For sin especially sins of lust and desire, you see it. If you find yourself on the internet in a place you shouldn't be, and, and, and you know it's not good for you, you, you realize these leaders in your life, they're not, they're not that great for you at all. But you realize how shameful it would be to confess your sins and look for help, and so you, you keep it all in, and you find yourself in this constant loop of lust and desire, and sexual immorality, 
hoping that maybe it will just change. You know what a ruthless leader, leader is? Our pride. When someone steps on our pride, that's when maybe our darkest self comes out, right? Someone's done something to you and your teeth come out and you get back at them because they have humiliated you or done something to you. And the devil is there stoking you saying, this is something that you must serve. Your pride is better than anything else in this world. It's more important than the people around you and even the Savior that has loved you. Here we find ourselves many times with Jerusalem, terrified, fear in front of us, with Christ so close in proximity, and yet not seeing Christ in our life, in our sins. You see what darkness does. That's what John 3 says. It says, the darkness doesn't understand the light. It just continues this whole process of, this is the way it is. This is how I I survive. This is what I do. Then we see the wise men, the magi. They come to this house, and they see... Mary and the child. And what can they see? Well, if all Jerusalem looked at this child, they would certainly see someone who could immediately be snuffed out by King Herod. They, they could have seen someone who, all the dark forces of the devil fighting against this child, trying to stop them, thinking that it won't be that hard to stop this child. It, it looks that way, Certainly. It looked like this child could be destroyed in an instant, but the, the, the wise men, the magi, came and they bowed down and worshipped him and opened up his, their gifts to him because it would never be that way. As much as all of the world was fighting against Christ, as all of the dark sin and death was fighting against Christ, it would never defeat him, as humble and as lowly as he was. Even with death at his worst, even with Christ willingly allowing death to do whatever it wanted to him, even when he he walked up to Jerusalem with his royal blood bleeding down his back, when Jerusalem wasn't able to walk to him or not wanting to walk to him, even when they put a, a robe around him mocking his royalty and a crown of thorns on him and set him on a royal throne they called a cross, And death piercing him through. It could not stop Christ from being the glorious king he was. That was death's or sin's best move. Killing him. Putting him in the grave. And yet what do we see afterwards? him walking out of the grave, alive. The Magi came and bowed down to that child. 
because their hope was that. They would defeat death and do what no other ruler could ever do. Where all the other rulers of, of the world demand and, and cause you to obey and do. Here, Christ, this, this leader, he rules in grace. He, where he gives, he offers his very life for ours. That's the mark of a true ruler. Completely different than the world. He has essentially given us his own life as if we ourselves defeated death and the devil. And so we get to the familiar part of the story. The Magi opening their gifts. Not because they were earning favor with this child or appeasing his wrath. Because what better could they do than to bring these very expensive gifts to the gift, the light of the world? And you notice the wise men in that question of how magical their, their journey to Jesus was. All along the way, they were led by a light. Yes, part of the way was a star. But we noticed that they were looking for a star, too, as well. They were prepared. They were, they were watching for this, this sign of a child being born. They had the light of the gospel in their hearts. How it got there? Maybe it was Daniel years ago who was in Persia. Maybe it was someone else who shared it with them, but they were looking, and Christ led them directly to himself, the light. And that's the very thing he does for us, too. With our self-image, we're so intent on feeling good about ourselves. He says, you don't need to build your self-image up. I give you my own image. You created my likeness. The sin that you repeatedly are caught in over and over again, it says your, your sexuality and your body, I've given you purpose. Where you can use that and there are actual good blessings that come out of that. Your, your, your pride or, or even your, your happiness, happiness is, is one of those things that it's almost like a drug, you have to keep taking it to, to maintain the level of happiness. It says, just look at your reality, death is gone. I have defeated it. You are alive in Christ. Just like the Magi, we come we say, what better thing is there to do than for us to open our presence to the one who is our greatest present? The Magi walked on the scene and they quickly walked off. We don't hear about them. But here we have a story for us that shows us rulers. Rulers of this world. Rulers of all eternity. And through his light, he brings us there. Leading us, 
calling us, saying, I, I am your forgiveness and your salvation. I am your great reward. God led the Magi with light. He used even the stars to do it. He leads us with his light, too. And he calls us to be prepared. So that when sin does come up, we see the light of Christ to free us from it. When our our lives seem worthless and uh, people around us don't seem to love, love us, he calls us to see his light in that too. I have loved you. And one day I will give myself for you. What an amazing journey that we have as Christians. So he continually calls us by his gospel and lighten us with his gifts. So let's not get caught up in the details of the Magi. Let's see it as it is. Testimony of God calling people who should not have ever known and yet giving them this great treasure of Christ. He's done so in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on page four in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was died and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.